Broadcasting live from Wall Street, this is The Monstrous Feminine, the podcast where horrible humans talk about horror. My name is Ava, and I'm joined by my finance bros, Mila, Louisa, and Taya. And this month, we're talking about horror movies featuring horrible men. We will be covering the 2000 thriller American Psycho, directed by Mary Heron, the 2022 drama Men, directed by Alex Garland, and the 2023 psychological horror Clock, directed by Alexis Jacknow. Before we get into the film, go ahead and follow us on Spotify, YouTube, or the Apple Podcast app. You can find all of our links on our Instagram at The Monstrous Feminine Podcast. American Psycho follows rich Wall Street investment banker Patrick Bateman as he attempts to rise in the ranks of his elite circles, all the while hiding his violent cravings and extreme bloodlust from his friends, rivals, fiancé, and colleagues. As the film progresses, Bateman's psychopathy becomes uncontrollable. The crucial question is, does it even matter? I have all the characteristics of a human being. Flesh, blood, skin, hair. But not a single clear, identifiable emotion, except for greed and disgust. Something horrible is happening inside of me, and I don't know why. My nightly bloodlust has overflowed into my days. I feel lethal, on the verge of frenzy. I think my mask of sanity is about to slip. So I guess this is probably a common occurrence in both London and New York. Have you ever been accosted by a finance bro? And what was that experience like? Y'all have to tell me because they do not approach me because I look like a hotep wife. That is such an accurate description of yourself. And I really love that (laughs) self-awareness. If you've ever been on a dating app, I feel like you have been accosted by a finance bro. That's if you have men on there. There are finance girl bosses. That's true. There's a layer of protection with a dating app. It's more in the street that you're going to get accosted. I don't feel like in person, I really circle the places that finance bros would be. I don't really drink, so I'm not at bars. And I do not operate in that area of London that they typically hang out. I feel like if I was dating someone who made me feel bad about having my little matcha or like my little dessert every day, being like, If you would have just put that money in a savings account, we could have 50,000 by the end of the year. I would want to hurt myself. So nothing about that sounds that appealing to me. Like not even being able to split the rent because then when we're splitting the rent, he'll be like, yeah, but you're making this much and I make four times your salary at your stupid little job that makes you happy. Who cares about film? And I would cry. When you get married, this happened to my friend's sister. She married a finance bro. And she works like at a magazine and her tax bracket is now his tax bracket. So she has like no take home salary because she gets taxed at his rate. Keep that in mind that your job becomes redundant and pointless the second you marry somebody with that much money, by the way. But the question was, have you ever been accosted? And I feel like everyone in a bar at some point has been, I don't know if they're actually rich, but they for sure have the aura as if they have like entitlement to talk to you. Do you think that that works, though? Do you think just, like, appearing wealthy makes them successful at picking up women? Honestly, I don't think so. I don't think I've genuinely had, like, an extended conversation with a finance bro. I did work at, like, a fintech company, but I did not 
talk to anyone. I am very judgmental and will assume they are brainless and dull. I am surrounded by them at all times, though. They wear their little khaki pants. Actually, the other day I was walking from the train. I saw like six in a row, like ducks in exactly the same outfit. They have the backpacks, the same brand button down, the khaki like on their tight ass. Their asses are high to the air. And they were the same shoes. And I thought they were together. And then when we got out of the subway station, they all went in different directions. They all live together in like a fat house. And then they go off to their different jobs. (laughs) In fairness, I feel like if they they would live together because these are the people who are actually probably saving to buy a house while I am buying avocado toast and machos. I always have finance bros on the train with me when I'm going to work in the morning. And sometimes we have a chat. People really like to spark conversations with me in London. And I don't know why. What? No one talks in London. I know. I think it's because I have a very default friendly expression that looks like I'm inviting conversation. You need to change that. You need to remedy that. Fix that. I am from the South. So, I mean, I am very receptive to conversations with strangers. I also did have a phase here where I was like, I'm so sick of dating in London. And I made a hinge and only swiped in New York. (laughs) Don't come here with your face looking friendly. The Monstrous Feminine is on Apple Podcasts, so please go leave us a five-star review. If you do engage with our content, you might just get a shout-out in our next episode as our Witch of the Week. This episode, our Witch of the Week, is Junebug446. She rated us five stars and said, Spooky, 10 out of 10, would recommend. Are we spooky? Are we genuinely spooky? I feel like we are silly, silly little geese. We're silly little geese, but we, like, will we'll casually talk about films as if they aren't the most horrific thing ever and we had a recent witch of the week or was it a witch of the week we had a comment that was like these movies are actually really scary and you guys are giving hee hees and ha ha's as if they're all horror comedies but they are not <laughs> yeah that's true sorry guys we're dead inside i think we ridicule anything that attempts to be like genuinely scary you know what it's spooky season it's september so thank you for your spooky comment i don't think september is spooky yeah, but it's autumn. Actually, get a bookie season. Not get a bookie season. Stop it. <laughs> a friendly reminder that we are also on Patreon. For £1 a month, you gain access to our Discord. For £3 a month, you get to hear a cut discussion from our main episodes. And for £5 a month, you get all that, plus the opportunity to pick our films, themes, and discussion points. Please support us. Any contribution helps. I tried to watch this film... Like, I don't know, closer to when it came out. Not when it came out, because I would have been a child. But, you know, when I was, like, a a teenager, I tried. And I couldn't get past the part where he, like, tries to kill the homeless man. Because I didn't know what to expect in it. And I was like, if this is just a movie where, like, oh, entitled white man kills a bunch of black people, I'm not watching it. And I should have stuck with it, because it's not exactly that. But, like, I don't know. I just was like, nope, I'm out. And I've actually stayed, like, surprisingly insulated against anything about it i've only ever seen one like scene and that's like the one that's memed the hell out of when he's wearing his big headphones with like that straight grumpy face walking through the office and like the meme will be like my headphones carly ray jepson or something so like that's like the only thing i've known about psycho besides the fact that obviously he's a serial killer and like i think coming into it from like no whatever i just knew of it as like oh this is the film bro film like this is like the one the bros love, like, it's whatever. I was expecting it to be, like, so insufferable. And then I was watching it, and I was like, this is for the girls. I had no idea. And I was like, how did they hide this from us for so long? 
well, I, I really, I could have watched it. So it's just me being like, not having given it the time of day. But I was just like, oh, I can't believe that it has this lens. And I didn't know that because everyone's too, like, men are just too caught up with like, you know, idolizing Patrick Bateman's character for me to like have realized that it was actually quite satirical and um, like a good commentary on on stuff. So that was like my surprising like enjoyment of it because I really thought I'd hate it. I think I've also been insulated from it. Not as insulated, right? I knew it was satirical. I knew what it was a satire of. I just expected it to be a lot less on the nose than it was for how many people have misinterpreted it. It is actually mind-blowing to me that anyone sits there and does not see it as like 100% over-the-top satire. I've always been concerned from what little I knew. I was like, you shouldn't identify with violent people. You shouldn't identify with misogynists. But I see that like, okay, let's say people misread The Matrix all the time, right? Like there's a lot of things that The Matrix is about. People, That's a movie that gets misread a lot. But it's one that understandably you can misread, right? Like, even the directors were not, like, out in trans when the movie was made. There's a lot of, like, subconscious trans allegory to the Matrix. Fine. Fine if you don't know that they've transitioned since then. And fine if you don't see a trans allegory in it. That's a misreading. I was expecting that level of misreading of this movie. Now that I have seen it, I am scared to be in the world. Y'all ain't right. (laughs) Like, fuck media literacy we're we're beyond it i don't know how to teach you people anything my thoughts are exactly the same and that i'd seen it before but to be honest i had i watched it without really like knowing the surrounding discourse about it i didn't watch it knowing it was like this big kind of like cultural touch point and re-watching it i had that same reaction where I was like how the hell are people we're talking about men how are men watching this like yuppie bros and idolizing him he's like so undeniably pathetic in the film but also I have a little theory in that I think this film is undeniably camp one of the most truest purest camp films that exists and the reason that men watch this and they can't pick up on any of this satire is because their identity or the, the identity they want to like ascribe to and become is like shown in such a camp way and so like anybody who has like literacy towards like camp media camp cinema like can obviously understand that and read all of the sort of like allusions to performance and all this like silliness they go through their social rituals and it's so homoerotic that there's so many different layers we'll get into the reason that these like men these straight men who want to like live and breathe wall street they can't pick up on this campiness because it's like the things that are made camp are like things that they consider like the highest of masculinity. They don't see that the campiness is like, and the satirical aspect of the film is on these like completely absurd and ridiculous touchstones of masculinity wrapped up in this like yuppie capitalist New York culture. And that's why I think they don't get it. They don't, they, they, they feel the like humor of it they kind of misread it as obviously there's like a lot of nihilism in this film, but a nihilism towards like, yeah, don't give a shit about anything rather than like a reflection on the wider like economic system is something really evil and exploitative. The same with Fight Club. They can't like dig down into like the way it interrogates masculinity and late stage capitalism. I think maybe part of the reason why this film 
is so widely misinterpreted or has so many variations of the interpretation of it is because the book is slightly different. And the author of the book and the screenwriter have a bit of conflict in the fact that the writer of the book has since said that it was criticizing his own obsession with consumerism and fitting in in the 80s in New York and reflecting on how that is a sort of horror or monstrosity that goes on in society and the competitiveness of consumerism. And then in the film, it kind of turns him into the joke, but in a way that things don't necessarily happen in the book. The scene in which the sex worker who he has brought back on multiple occasions, like the first time she's laughing at him flexing while they're having sex and laughing at him listening to Whitney Houston, but those things don't happen in the book. In the book, it's more of like, oh, he's the man and like no one really sees how much he's fronting. There is a female director and a screenwriter that came in and kind of changed it to the way that I think we actually see men who are like so self-absorbed and consumerism and obsessed who perform for other men. In a way, I think this is almost more of a critique of that because men don't necessarily see the ways that they perform for each other, but women see them. And the author was writing it as a retrospective of like, this is how people front in capitalism and consumerism and conform to identities. When you see that type of thing as a woman, I feel like it's very obvious when it's happening. I completely agree. I think that, um, I think you mentioned the sex workers. And I think one thing that was like so relatable was when they, he's like mansplaining the song and, and then they, he like invites them to come, says to them to come in the bedroom and they like exchange like such a look of like this fucking guy. And I was like, every single like woman I know has exchanged a look like that with their friend in front of some ridiculously peacocking man who they're just like, oh, this is ridiculous, you know? And I felt like that one scene sums up the entire film. Like, yes, it's about corporate greed. Yes, it's about consumerism and like excessive nature of like Wall Street circles. However, the main thing, the crucial thing is it's that, but from the perspective of women laughing at toxic masculinity. And I think that's like the crux of it. But I do think sometimes in this film, it feels like a little over the head. Like I could do with it to be more subtle, which is why I think you and Zabel were saying in the beginning, it feels like how do people misinterpret this film? That being said, there are some aspects of the film that I don't necessarily enjoy. This film, I think in a way, the way that it criticizes toxic masculinity is good, but it's almost in a way that I think does ignore how toxic masculinity hurts men. He doesn't seem in anguish to you, this man. He does seem in anguish, but I don't think it's criticizing in the way of like having expectations of them to like men to have a certain partner or keep up a certain lifestyle or not like Whitney Houston songs is also bizarre. I don't think the film criticizes toxic masculinity in, in a double-edged sword way enough to where you see how men having expectations of other men creates this violent behavior in which they feel like they have to perform masculinity to the highest degree. In his way, the performing masculinity to the highest degree is not only being competitive with his colleagues, but then performing extreme acts of violence. I don't think that we talk about, the, the film reflects on how toxic masculinity can create cycles of violence. I don't think it reflects on that at all. There are moments where it is a bit like in your face over the top 
but I think that is the camp factor. But even still, that is misread, and they're like beating you over the head with it, sometimes literally. Like, I don't know how much more in your face it could have been. But what I do think is much more subtle, and what I was watching with some pals, um, a lot of them came away with the interpretation that Patrick Bateman is gay. Like, we're all like, oh, yeah, that could definitely be the case. But it is a bit more subtle than just, like, critiquing masculinity writ large. Because, like, the movie is not saying all men are gay. It is particularly looking at this man. And I think that is where, like, the way that he consumes culture is not the way that straight men consume culture. Sorry. Like, yes, the mansplaining, the, like, telling them about, like, the history of every song and movie and, like, cultural reference is very straight man of him. The ways that he surrounds himself with men and masculinity, the way that he critiques his own body and like compares it to like the bodies of other men, the way he like loves to be in these like fraternal spaces and gets a lot of like energy off of that. Like to me, it does critique the like expectations of masculinity because they are like they are homosocial in nature, right? Like I don't know. There's like a lot. Like yeah, there's like homoerotic tension between all the men, but I wouldn't say that all these men are going around being gay for each other. I think Patrick Bateman is tortured and like particularly like hypersexual. Has to like go out and like fuck the hottest woman around. Has to be the hottest guy around. There's some sort of like subconscious. His particular like struggle with masculinity is evoked right he's different than the men around him i'm sure there's like I, if i watched this three or four more times i would be convinced of this more thoroughly <laughs> but like I, that i think is the more subtle nod that is happening in a lot of his particularities of his personality that i feel like this is not in your face like this is a bit more like if you haven't been around those type of men who like only surround themselves with men and hate women so like viscerally that it can only be gay like there's something about it that like is really well done because like all the gay people in the room came away sure of it and I think straight people can come away with at least knowing that this is a critique of masculinity and that's good enough yeah I agree I think the queerness of it I think they it's it's subtle because they also give you a man who's like very overtly queer like that one co-worker he has who's like you know he like eventually comes out and says I know you want me and the gay panic that he experiences in that moment and it's so conflated with violence when he's trying to choke the guy in the bathroom and interestingly like he doesn't kill him like there's only two people I think who well his fiance who's just for show like he can't kill her and then there's Jean she somehow like gets um away right because his fiance calls he like he could have killed him and he doesn't and I think it's the gay panic because he's clocked in that moment but I also think that is like again the subtleties of a, a woman reading the original source material and being like this man <laughs> like, is the author not I'm pretty sure that he's queer when asked in a 2002 interview whether he was gay he explained that he did not identify as gay or straight but was comfortable being thought of as homosexual, bisexual, or heterosexual, and enjoyed playing with his persona. That's enough for me. Okay, yeah, he's <laughs> So Me too, bro. Way, yeah. <laughs> he says he has an indeterminate sexuality, and it just depends on the mood that he's in. In 2012, he came out as gay after apologizing for a series of controversial tweets. 
Okay, okay. right. That's what I'm going to do. That's my legacy. It is relevant to like any conversation about like the source material versus the film. I think it is interesting. Well, depending on like when he was writing it, what headspace he was in. But I think maybe, and we haven't read the book, but I wonder how many of the like subtleties of the film are also maybe there. One review by David Crow and Den of Geek, which is talking about like how the business card thing is like penis envy and like basically just a dick measuring contest. That scene makes me L-O-L. Louisa, you said, I think it was when the two sex workers kind of were like exchanging knowing looks about Patrick. And you were like, that for me really epitomized the whole film. For me, the scene that just like sums everything up is when they're like at a bar and he talks to a woman. I don't remember who it is. There's like music, so she can't quite hear him. He's like, what do you do? And he says murders and executions and she mishears mergers and acquisitions. And I just think it's the most concise way to like sum up what I think this film does so well. Like Ty, you mentioned how you didn't think it really interrogated the sort of systems of violence and like cycles of violence, you said, how it connects to like toxic masculinity and capitalism. But I think that like, even just by that exchange alone I think it literally through the film violence but also just like subtle ways whether it's humor it really like compounds them like this yuppie capitalist culture with horrors and violence and I feel like it's over it's on the nose yeah but it like continuously is making sure these two ideas like really really (laughs) merge obviously we talked about how certain viewerships they're not picking up what she's putting down but I think that it really does like quite poignantly refer back to how it's like we're not this isn't just about this one man and this psychopathic character study. It's very much about this economic system, these systems of power and how I guess chicken or the egg, how that might feed into toxic masculinity and like misogyny. I mean, again, Patrick, he's like an analogy, so you can't really talk about him so much as like a flesh and blood person. But is it like that he's psychopathic because he was born into this sort of culture or is he just like batshit crazy anyway and is a great channel for all of this I don't care about that so my thing is I basically what I'm saying is I think the film critiques toxic masculinity but not in a way sometimes where I feel like you necessarily see the violence in relation to toxic masculinity it feels more related to consumerism and the the struggle to fit in so much that you feel violent and also like I do definitely see the ideal of Patrick Bateman being gay so I think when you put those two together it kind of feels bizarre in a way to think that like there are moments in which the female characters almost seem like they also are critiquing his masculinity like when they laughed at him for liking Whitney Houston music and like go over and over like you like Whitney Houston, like things like that. But I feel like it's almost in the way that when we talked about Black Christmas where we were like, sometimes like the feminism when it's too over the head. I think I see what you mean. Like obviously when they criticize him for liking Whitney Houston, they're upholding a version of masculinity that, you know, suggests that men can't enjoy Whitney Houston, which is ridiculous. So I get what you mean in that. And I do get that it's tied in relation to consumerism. I think that's just the lens because it's about Wall Street. So I don't necessarily disagree with that at all. The author himself said basically the reason why he didn't originally confirm or die his sexuality is because the book reads very differently. If you know that the author is homosexual, is reflecting on 
his experience with consumerism and yuppie culture in New York in the 80s. And you have to consider also the timeline of which this was in which the character would have been a repressed homosexual man because the 80s in New York is right before you go into the HIV epidemic that happened in which homophobia was extremely violent and more people were on the down low because of like the the stigma of being gay being associated with also having HIV or AIDS. So there's so many different layers that I think come into play when you're seeing the character as a homosexual man who's existing in this space. Some of what's going on starts to become very blurry because the character, of course, is a horrible, murderous piece of shit. But also when you start adding in like the turmoil of being a closeted man about to go through like the HIV epidemic in New York, also having like so much projected onto him, it starts to give the character not necessarily a sympathetic quality, but adding a different layer to it, which would have made for, in my opinion, a stronger commentary on the effects of toxic masculinity. But instead, I think we kind of just only see it through like, yeah, they're having this gun contest of like, when they're whipping out the cars, it almost sounds like a Western movie where they're whipping out the gun. And it kind of like the comedy aspect of it, I think takes away from the seriousness of what could have been. That is say, being said, I do think it is a, a strong commentary on a lot of different things. I just don't think it's it's as strong on toxic masculinity as a problem that really does affect people's like mental health and physical well-being and creates the cycle of violence as well as it could have. And yes, there is violence in the film, but like I don't feel, feel like it feels like it's as a result of them being forced to be closeted or talking masculinity it just feels more like an extension of privilege um and the yuppie culture and consumerism especially based on who he attacks i see you meaning the whole point but i think i disagree with that last bit i think i see the murders as very much tied to toxic masculinity and consumerism as it they both relate to like that competitiveness like he talks about going to the same barber as his counterpart and he's like hilariously always the joke running joke in the film is that nobody knows who he actually is because they all look the same interchangeable personalities and there are genuinely moments in the film where he like after feeling undermined at work he goes and he kills a black homeless man after berating him for not having a job like that to me is very much tied with the toxic masculinity of he felt inferior to his male counterpart because he like was outgunned in the business card shootouts shall we say metaphorically so he went and he asserted his like let's say racial his perceived own racial superiority so i felt like that was actually very much tied to his toxic masculinity in that competition in a business sense and personal sense and then like it is interesting as well because how he like then will commit like sexually violent acts like the murders against women are always in sexual nature and that's him again asserting his like perceived superiority in terms of gender against like violent acts as a result again of feeling undermined or whatever or needing to like have control over his masculinity so I think they are tied to that in that way what you said about the queerness and stuff I think like the problem almost gets a little bit blurry when we have the consumerism element because for example we're, we're laughing at him for having like a like a detailed skincare and that's somewhat of like the campy queerness as well but also that is like a very like limited view of like gender and what like men can do and sexuality as well you know so like 
I guess in that way, yeah, we are. It is making a joke of those things. It's kind of perpetuating these ideas of masculinity as it's making the joke out of them. But because it's camp, I kind of like forgive it. I think it's quite knowing in that. For the Guardian, Scott Tobias, he says, Bateman is like really concerned with beauty, order, and conformity and being the perfect consumer. So I think like this pursuit of like having all these like nice and beautiful things is getting a little bit conflated with our reading of him as a queer man. And perhaps it's then like showing unintentionally like masculinity is one thing. I think I definitely agree. And that's what my problem with the film is. If we're viewing it from like a queer sub subtext and we're also thinking about toxic masculinity, then it starts to get really blurry when like part of the points of critiquing him almost are like, but look how feminine he is, even though he keeps doing like dick swinging contest. It just starts to be like, maybe we shouldn't be laughing that part. Back to um, just like the skincare routine for me. I, I never really read it as something that was really commenting on like his gender. It was very much for me more within his like psychopathic need to reach this ideal. I, and you can talk about like, what is an ideal of masculinity? That sort of like strict routine I think was his you know attempts of like appearing human and appearing like you know at his best I don't think we're supposed to like laugh at the fact that it feminizes him because it really doesn't the whole scene of it feels so like clinical seems to like definitely feed more into his lack of empathy and his lack of warmth as a person and like obviously that is more to do with this like satire of a yuppie wall street bro who you know lacks any any human empathy but also I really like I love that they laugh at him for listening to Whitney Houston I hate when a film has like one or two female characters and their mouthpieces to call out a certain whatever critique in the film like women are upholding toxic masculinity as well I'm not saying all women obviously to different degrees (laughs) hashtag not all women (laughs) hashtag not all women I think them laughing at Whitney Houston it was just of its time And also him being insufferable is like, you know, having to recite music history and significance to everyone who comes over. Ty's point is relevant if you're picking up on the queer subtext of it. I think when men pay a lot of attention to their appearance, it is read as like metrosexual. You know, that was like a term thrown about, especially earlier 2000s. And it is read as queer. So I do think if you're picking up on the whole queer subtext, then the things he does are like almost so masculine, they're almost feminine. And then it is a little bit homophobic in that sense. Be that as it may, I think that's the subtext rather than the overarching film. And I think the overarching narrative and what it's doing with critiquing masculinity is agreed, quite genius. The dominant thing is he wears so many products because as like the Den of Geek review says, he is a product. Like he is embodying what consumerism is. He is never satisfied with anything that he has. He always needs more. He always needs to one up. So I think that's more the point of why he wears excessive products, more so than like just showing his vanity and narcissism and potential, whatever that says about his feminine, like so masculine, it's almost feminine, queer, like his self-obsession almost becomes queer. Relatedly, Reese Witherspoon's Evelyn, the fiance's character, being quite distracted and she's vain herself and she's also interested in moving up in society. And it's said that his father is like this whole firm owner wherever they work. So we know he's like this wealthy man and we know why she would still want to um, marry him. I think they each have a function of like the whole joke of the film, right? Is that in the end, 
his like extreme murderous tendencies goes unnoticed by people because everyone is too caught up in their own like pursuits right like his fiance is too vain and too concerned with like getting married and like securing that wealth there to care that he's literally doodling a cartoon with a chainsaw then we have Jean, the secretary who is like also like at fault because she spends like she's the type where like women are told to humanize men like we're always told like there must be a reason that he must be tortured like she gives a quite sympathetic view she's like no I can see the real him you know so she's almost like pardoning his behavior because she's like trying to humanize him too much and like giving him too much empathy and then the bros who like act as his alibi because the bros unquestionably gave him one because they need like him to stay in their circle as well like what does it say if he gets caught out there's a big debate that I've seen from like the three days I've been familiar with this film. <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. But the, there's a big debate online that's like, was it all in his head? And I just think like, that's just like, so not the point. The point is, first of all, I don't think it all was in his head. I think the campiness of it is that he could have an extreme police shootout. And the fact that it wouldn't even matter is like the entire like, you know, point of it of like these men in society can do whatever they want. I've seen so many op-eds now about like that came out in 2020 on the 20 year anniversary. And it was talking about um, how throughout the film, there's like mentions of like, oh my God, is that Trump in his limo? Is that Ivana Trump at this restaurant? And Trump is like the emblem of like the type of man that he really idealizes. And people in 20, critics in 2020 were rewriting these op-eds saying, isn't that ironic? Because now Trump's president, like this is what happens. And someone said, actually, I'll get it up. It was an ID article. And they talked about the Batemanization of American politics has like become like really real and horrifying. It was always there, but it's now more at the forefront, right? And Bateman can be, this is a quote, Bateman can be understood as representing the unarticulated impulses, longings and desires of American capitalism as if the id of the United States came to life and put on a designer suit. But I just think like that's quite poignant. There's this idea, because now we, of course, we, we do have Trump who is literally very much almost in a Bateman manner at like some speech in Iowa once like said, yeah, I could shoot somebody and, I, and they would still vote for me. Like he's literally said I could kill someone and, and I would still be in a position of power. He's not wrong. And I think that's the whole joke and the final soliloquy of this film where he's like, oh, nothing I do matters. I will never get caught is just become so like, that is true of these men in this position. So I think he does everything, whether or not he's hallucinating some aspect. I think every, every kill's real. It's just that like, it doesn't matter. And that's the huge joke that like it might as well have not happened. And because these men will continue to get away with it, they can grab women by the pussy and nothing happens. They can say they'll shoot someone and they'll still be president, you know, like, it doesn't matter. I mean, it definitely it doesn't matter in the sense that he can essentially do whatever he wants. But also, like, I think people are indifferent to or maybe not indifferent, but are perhaps blind to, you know, he, he sprinkles in little hints that he's killing people. And people either, you know, brush it off as a joke, blah, 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 they mishear. I think it's obviously, like you said, these are like, they're equally vain and like self-important. So they're not actually engaged. They're not listening. But also I think that the violence that we see in the film, like enacted by him is obviously like very real and very graphic. But I think the violence that in a more abstract way, the violence that comes like as a consequence of corporate greed it's much more difficult to really understand the extent of that violence like throughout our society and I think that maybe like people are like don't recognize it they're blind to that like unless it's shown to them like like you know shown through an allegory of like somebody literally chopping people up with an axe with 
a chainsaw. I just think that people like don't quite grasp how horrific and violent these systems are. But I think that the film does it like it really confronts it. And I think it succeeds. It's this like, yeah, lack of accountability, lack of punishment and all these like various systems that are just corrupt and exploitative. It being more like abstracted violence, I think means people don't like see the real evil of it. And then this film is like, hey, hey, but it's also kind of like chopping people up with a chainsaw. He says it himself, he embodies an idea and you can't kill this idea of capitalism because it's just going to keep going and it's many iterations. And I think it's interesting that this film was made in the 2000s and it's critiquing the kind of, be- not beginning, but like birth of like mass market, like standardization, capitalism as we know it with like 80s Reagan politics and all that. Like, you know what I'm saying? Like, it's like 2000s and it's when it's like, all, these ideas are already rampant and it's going back to the origin of it. So I think like he says an idea and he's, I think you can't really kill him because we're saying that we can't kill this concept. I think he also makes some sort of comment about him being as harmless as Ronald Reagan or something in comparison to Ronald Reagan. And when you look at back at who Ronald Reagan was, during his presidency that is obviously not true well hang on what does the his co-worker what does he say his co-worker says at the end he presents himself as this harmless old codger but inside suggesting that like these men in politics are psychopaths in, in just the same way and there's no consequences or they do a lot of harm and there's no consequences something that i don't know if it's a bit out of character but it, it was ahead of its time is that he is also like a woke king like, in addition to his mansplaining, he's also much more, like, quote-unquote, progressive than the other people around him. And he doesn't have to be, right? Like, he could say bullshit, racist, classist, misogynistic, homophobic things in the spaces that he's in, and no one would think anything of it. But that he, like, sets himself apart is also, I think, a reason why he gets away with stuff for so long. Like, I don't know. He He's made himself unique in these spaces, too, and where he'll call other people out. He'll be like, hey, man, that's an anti-Semitic thing to say. And I think that is very of this time, because, like, your, your ability to be woke is sort of like a cultural cachet to, like, Ally. be able to call other people <laughs> out, especially as a white man. But that feels like a new phenomenon. So that that this character was doing that when this movie came out, like certainly it would not have the cultural cachet in the 80s to be able to to be the type of white man who calls out other white men. That feels like a really recent phenomenon. I think it's because he listens to Whitney Houston. So he believes that children are a future. I forgot to bring that up when I spoke about the his killing a black homeless man. So many people using like liberal ideas as like a way of like almost making themselves seem like, oh, I'm trying interesting and like whatever and like oh, over like dinner or whatever. But and then him being like, but actually when it comes down to it, I'm going to assert my perceived like racial dominance because I'm angry about something. He believes himself to be superior, right? Like he is a white supremacist. He it, he does believe in male supremacy like that. I think he follows to his core, but he knows what like the right thing to say is even if it's like not what he believes the the author a bit more though because apparently he had a bit of like critique of this film he said um and i got this from the den of geek article but in recent years ellis has gone so far as to say quote women can't direct and that in regard to heron quote there's something about the medium of the film itself that i think requires the male gaze 
I have never in my life experienced a more ironic quote. Yeah. Like, what a parody. So this is why I don't want to give him too much credit of, like, a tortured queer man. And then in terms of, like, the ending and the debate between, like, if it was all in his head, both the co-writer, Genevieve Turner, and Heron were, like, adamant that it's not just all in his head. And and Heron thinks it's a failure of hers that she made it too ambiguous. I think it's not ambiguous at all. And people are just dum-dums who want to, like, absolve him of his crimes and continue to emulate him. Men. We also had a submission, it's our last point, from our May Queen, Love Witch, sent us an interview on YouTube, a GQ interview with Christian Bale called Christian Bale Breaks Down His Most Iconic Characters. And at the very start, he's talking about his, um, him playing Patrick Bateman. And he says, quote, I didn't approach it like Heron said the other actors had approached it when they were talking about what's his childhood? What's the reason he's become this? I was like, ah, none of that really matters. He's just like an alien. Love Witch said, um, having read John Ronson's The Psychopath Test, I really love that he, Christopher Bale, approached Bateman like he's an alien rather than a sympathetic figure. And I think that is a really interesting point that like other actors were trying to give him a sense of interiority. I do like his approach to characters. I just think that he, I don't know, he's both like unserious and like very um, intentional at the same time. There was one thing about violence against women. Do you guys think it's grotesque? Because I read a comment that was like from the Hollywood Reporter, which was saying that it's surprisingly like toned down. Like it doesn't actually show like the the camera pans away. I would call it obscured. Like one of the kills, she's under the sheets. Like you don't really see a lot of the kills like straight on like a slasher. You could have seen like, you know, axe in face. You could have seen chainsaw through titties. The piles of dead bodies are the most shocking part, but you don't actually see the acts of violence head on. Thank you for listening to The Monstrous Feminine. Be sure to follow us on Instagram, SoundCloud, and Spotify at The Monstrous Feminine Podcast and on Twitter at The Pod. Subscribe to our YouTube channel, rate and review us on Apple Podcasts and Spotify, and follow us on TikTok at The Monstrous Feminine Pod for podcast clips and more fun. Brooms up, which is out.